Welcome to Creators by Moonlight. Real conversations with content creators. Mark Rupert is the creator of the 48-Hour Film Project, an annual filmmaking competition that takes place in more than 100 cities worldwide. In this interview, he talks about creating the project and keeping it running strong for 20 plus years, tips for excelling at the 48, and advice for filmmakers of all levels. I was born in Washington, DC and grew up in a family as the oldest of six kids. My parents were always very supportive of each of us in in exploring things that were of interest to us. And my mother especially was always very arts oriented. Uh, She, later in her career, she was a gallery owner and an art show curator. And so we kind of grew up with this sense of the arts within the family. From an early age, I was always interested in filmmaking. I remember grabbing my parents' Super 8 movie camera and shooting uh, several different films with friends, including a Western. Actually, we had to do the Western twice. The first time, I can distinctly remember shooting a poker scene where the cheater gets shot. And as I zoom in for the close-up of my friend who has just fallen to the floor, he bursts out laughing. (laughs) It was uh, one of those... um, kind of, okay, cut, let's try this again. And so a couple years later, we actually uh, were able to shoot something on horseback and it was a lot more uh, successful than, uh, than that first attempt. But as an interesting thing happened as I got into high school and college, I had a hard time considering filmmaking as a career. Um, it wasn't as common as it is now. And so I moved away from it, didn't take any courses in either high school or college, wasn't part of the AV club at school or anything like that. I went on to, uh, to have a number of jobs and then went to law school. And at law school, I really honed my leadership skills. Uh, while I was there, I was elected the president of the Student Bar Association, graduated law school, became a member of the Maryland Bar, but knew that practicing law wasn't for me. So I got a job as the executive director of a local chamber of commerce and used that leadership and management skills that I had developed. So I enjoyed that quite a bit. And while I was doing that, I began taking some classes at night in film. I returned to my old passion of filmmaking. And it was during that time that I looked around and I realized there were thousands of people making a career in the film industry, and why couldn't I? So I transitioned out of the Chamber of Commerce job and began my own small production company. And I had the typical business clients making promotional videos, that type of thing. Also worked with a very talented filmmaker here in D.C., Jeff Krulik, who does a lot of um, great documentaries and is most famous for Heavy Metal Parking Lot. And so I gained a lot of experience doing that type of thing. So in about 1997, I partnered with a writer I had met at a local film networking event, and she had a couple of scripts, and I had been wanting to direct some short films, so she and I partnered on two films. Uh, Her name is Liz Langston, and uh, she wrote Lottie's Quest, 
was the first one. And essentially, we made these two short films on a shoestring budget, and they got into a couple of film festivals, and that was a lot of fun. We traveled, uh, I remember going to Valley Fest in Knoxville, Tennessee, and it played at a couple other small festivals. It wasn't, uh, this wasn't any great work that was going to make Sundance or anything, but it was, it was a great first experience. And along about that time, I remember reading an article about two women who had started one of the first 24-hour theater competitions where teams had to write, rehearse, and perform a play all within 24 hours. And I thought this sounded like just the coolest thing around, and it would be really neat to do it in video, but we would need more than 24 hours. I came up with the 48-hour time limit because I thought that having it shorter than 48 would make it nearly impossible to have a successful film. And longer than 48, all of a sudden you get into people's work schedules and you lose the element of the intensity of it. And so I didn't think it would work if it was a five-day or a two-weekend thing. Even though I had the idea in 1998, I didn't do anything with it. just sat in the back of my brain. And um, finally, in 2001, I was between projects, was looking for something to do, and this idea of the 48-hour film project resurfaced. So I met up with four friends of mine and pitched them the idea. Could they get teams together to try this thing? And of course, at that time, we had no idea, A, whether it was possible to make a short film in only 48 hours, and B, whether or not anybody else could stand to watch it. So um, three out of the four said they would put a team together. Um, Actually, the fourth person put a team together too, but he was skeptical. He didn't think it would work at all. And so word got out around town that we were doing this, and a friend of a friend was a theater manager. So she said, if you guys do this, I will screen them. So once we had the screening locked in, Then we had other filmmakers say, hey, I want to be part of this. So the very first year in Washington, D.C. in 2001, we had 10 teams and uh, we had no idea what we were doing. But what's interesting is the essential elements of the 48-hour film project uh, remain exactly the same today as they were that very first day. You had a genre assignment that you had no idea what you were going to get. And you were also assigned the character, the prop and line of dialogue that you had to work into your film. Once we had the first DC 48-hour film project under our belt and we realized that it was a lot of fun to do and people really enjoyed it, we did it a second time in DC in October of that same year. And then it was the very next year we met a woman, Beth Lewandowski, who had just moved from Atlanta back to DC. And she said that she really wanted to take it to Atlanta with us. So that got us thinking, okay, well, what if we spread 48 to some other cities? And that very first or the second year, we were in uh, five additional cities. We were in Atlanta, L.A., New York, Austin, and Philadelphia. And the same thing happened. People just had a great time making the films the energy at the theater of seeing everybody else's film. And the side benefit that came out of doing the 48 was really energizing the local film community and getting people to meet fellow filmmakers who 
they had no idea they even existed. And this not only led to learning from each other by observing the different techniques people use on the screen, but even it led to collaborations. Now people could discover, hey, this is a great actor or this is a super cinematographer. I want to work with you in the future. And so that's been a really nice uh, benefit of the 48. So after that uh, first year of growth, we then had a slow and steady growth for three or four years, got our way up to about 30 teams, 30 cities, excuse me. And then it sort of started growing exponentially. We went from 30 to 50 to 70. And for the last 10 years, I guess, we've been in over 100 cities every year, about half of those in the U.S. and half of them international. By our calculations, there are now 65,000 short films that have been made for the 48-hour film project. And if someone was to begin watching on the 1st of January and didn't stop watching until they were completed, they would watch until September 18th. So it's uh, quite a bit of content out there. With the essential elements of the project fixed, guidelines for completing the project have developed over the years. Mark believes that the value of the 48 is found in how challenging it is, and that this benefits participants of all levels. For those of you who are new to filmmaking, making a film in, in just two days is, is, is quite a challenge. Typically, teams will spend the Friday evening of the competition writing, then Saturday is shooting, and Sunday is editing. What boggles people's minds about it is how it compares to a traditional way of making a film, because in a traditional way, you've got months, if not years, of writing a script. You've got, you know, the shooting. If you're on a short shoot, you're still talking five or ten days just of the shooting, and then the editing can go on for months. And so what we're asking filmmakers to do is really condense all that down. Now, one of the beauties of the 48 is that by putting that strict time limit in, it throws all of the excuses out the window. It also throws out the ability to not make a decision. You don't have that luxury. You've just got to pick something and go with it and keep going. And so that, even though people think of it as very limiting, it actually is very freeing because it allows them to go with their gut reaction when they're making a film as opposed to overthinking something. So that's been one of the side benefits of the whole 48-hour process. I'd mentioned the, the required elements, the genre, the character prop, and line of dialogue. So very specifically, we have all kinds of genres. We started out uh, 20 years ago with the most obvious genres, the comedies, the horror, romance, etc. And then over the years, because we like to change things up, We've added a bunch of different ones. So we have things like holiday film. Of course, we've got buddy film. Some of the newer ones we have are revenge film. The ones that people love to hate are musical and Western. Those are, those are among the most difficult. But very interesting story back in Albuquerque, the first year we were there, and this is around 2008, there was a team with 110 people and 30 horses. So it was the largest team we've ever had. And uh, they made a great film. They knew they were going to make a Western. 
but they didn't know what genre it was. See, that's one of the things you're allowed to do. You're allowed to mix genres. So I don't remember what they pulled, but let's say they pulled romance. They could still know they were going to make a Western, but they had to have a romance within that Western. And that kept them within the confines of the rules. The character prop and line of dialogue, these can be added into the film in any way that the film team wants to. Uh, The character is typically a name and a profession, and that character can be the star of your film or just a bit player. The prop and the line of dialogue, those are fairly obvious. We have to see the prop and we have to hear the line of dialogue. The 48-Hour Film Project is open to everybody, any level of filmmaker. We've had beginners and we've had professionals. What's been especially rewarding to see over the years is the people who have come in as beginners and have really improved their craft over three or four times of participating in the 48. It's also exciting to see or hear about some of our filmmakers who have gone on to jobs within the industry. And even I've heard of people who, when they began, they had no idea that they wanted to become a filmmaker. And lo and behold, that's what they did. People register for the 48 for lots of different reasons. Um, Some people do it just because they have so much fun with their friends and they make it an annual tradition to get back together to make a film. Other people, especially the professionals, they're looking to try new techniques or to try new talent. If they've got somebody that they want to try working with, this is a very easy way to test them out. And if things work out, then they plan to hire them for future gigs. We have a whole bunch of people who are eager to get into the film industry. So the reason they're doing it, in addition to having fun and making a film in a weekend, is that they're hoping to either make connections or add to their reel to be able to show that to get a job. Actors get a lot out of being in the 48. I mean, essentially for any position on the film team, what you want is to get experience and to up that experience. And so whether you're an actor, whether you're a crew member, you are getting in there to actually do your craft. And you come out of it with a reel, something you can show to other filmmakers or if you're an actor, people who are casting, and and then you can use that to get future jobs. In addition to the professional aspects and having fun, there's a competitive side to the 48. Mark talks about the awards process, as well as some of the more outstanding films he's seen created over the years. In each city, we have a local panel of judges will select the award winners, and we typically give all the traditional awards, best directing, best writing, best editing, that type of thing. But the most important, of course, is the best film of the city. And each year in March, we take all of those city-winning films and we screen them at our four-day awards festival, Filmapalooza. And this festival has taken place in a bunch of different cities around the world. We started out at South by Southwest when we had only a single screening. And so that was, of course, fantastic to be part of that festival. But we quickly outgrew that festival because they couldn't give us more than a single screening. So for three years, we were at Cinequest, which is the San Jose Film Festival. And then we moved on to the Miami International Film Festival. And then finally, we were just too big 
for festivals, and we had to have our own event, and that's where Filmapalooza was born. And we've held that twice in L.A., we've held it in Seattle, we've held it in Rotterdam, we've even held it in Paris. So it's it's really traveled around, and it's a great way for filmmakers to meet other filmmakers from around the world. It's been called the Olympic Village of Filmmaking because it's that kind of meeting and bonding, and you're you're with people who have been through the exact same experience that you have of using your creativity and your problem-solving skills to make a film in just two days. At Film of Palooza, we not only screen all of the films, but we've got workshops presented by industry professionals. We do a lot of receptions and parties. And then, of course, it all comes down to the awards ceremony. And here we announce all of the, uh, and again, another 20 awards, you know, best directing out of the entire 5,000 films we received that year. And of course, the grand champion. We also have a special partnership with the Cannes Film Festival where we screen, have a screening at their short film corner every year. And this has been going on for 15 years now. And we take about a dozen of our top films and present them in Cannes. And this is a great opportunity for the filmmakers. They get to come to the festival. And if people have never been to the Cannes Film Festival, it is just mind-blowing the first time you go because every person in the industry is right there and you're rubbing elbows with really well-known actors, rubbing elbows with directors, producers. It's just a, a, the first year most people go, They it's so overwhelming that they don't really make that many connections. They're just kind of amazed. And then they, if you go back, then you start to get the flow of the festival and how it works and, and how you can make connections. So it's, uh, it's been a very fruitful partnership for us. For three years, we had a special competition there with HP. HP was a sponsor of the festival, and they had us bring in five of our top filmmakers and actually shoot a film in Cannes. And so that was a lot of fun, too. Films we've received over the years have really run the gamut. And what's amazing is the top films can really compete with films made with no time limit. In fact, we've had quite a few of our films be entered in other film festivals and have and have won the film festivals beating out films that were made with unlimited budget and unlimited days and weeks. What's interesting is the uh, European filmmakers definitely have a higher quality in general than filmmakers in the rest of the world, especially in the Netherlands and in France. And I'm not quite sure why. You know, certainly there is more government support for the arts in Europe than there are in other places, and, and perhaps that's the answer. But we've seen a lot of great films, especially out of those two countries, of course, the U.S. has had a lot of great films over the years. Some of the ones that I've liked include a film from Paris in which it's actually a film set. They're fe finishing a feature film, and the last one of the last scenes calls for the actor to jump off of a balcony. And the team is out of time and it's out of money, and so instead of waiting for the air mattress, They've rigged up a 
landing zone for this guy with pillows and boxes and and they're assured it will be perfectly fine and of course he falls and dies but they're not finished yet so the producer insists that they keep shooting with the dead body uh and uh, that was a particularly funny film in a more dramatic uh film coming out of Amsterdam a couple of years ago it was called Unforgettable and it features an older man who is suffering from Alzheimer's. And you see flashbacks to different times. And the filmmaker really got this sense of confusion and what goes on inside the guy's mind. And in addition to the confusion, you can see these brief moments of lucidity where he remembers his daughter, who is been talking to for the last hour and now he recognizes her as her daughter and then two minutes later he's treating her like a, a waitress so it was really fascinating to i mean the filmmaker portrayed the tragedy of alzheimer just so well in that film one of the films out of washington dc this year was a very cute uh, rom-com where a guy is in the elevator and one of his neighbors who he'd never met enters the elevator and all of a sudden uh, the elevator gets stuck between floors. And so you spend the film with them in this elevator as they connect and, um, and he leaves the elevator with just a goodbye. And as he's walking to his apartment, he realizes, wait, I need to do something. I got to go back to her. And you see him race up the stairs and and uh, when the elevator's door opens, they embrace. And it's, you know, just a cute, typical rom-com thing. So it's, it's very interesting to see. I would say over the years that story trumps production values. But what's been really amazing, and I guess maybe not amazing, two things. Because of the access to quality equipment, because prices of coming down, as well as the general public's um, knowledge about filmmaking increasing, the technical gets better and better every year. And you'd be hard pressed to even pinpoint that something was made in 48 hours because they look so good. People are able to use whatever equipment they want. We've had people shoot on their iPhones, their cell phones, and, and people using red cameras and black magic, and you name it, it's, it's been done. We've even had a couple of people over the years shoot on film. And of course, they have the added problem of they've got to get it developed in that 48-hour time frame. And then, of course, they convert it to digital and, uh, and so that it they can submit it to us. But uh, the 48 never ceases to amaze me in what the filmmaker's creativity is. Having been so heavily involved with the 48-hour film project over the years, Mark has copious amounts of advice for would-be competitors. My advice for teams, especially new teams, is to, number one, Plot out your weekend in terms of your timing. Be sure you have some milestones in mind uh, so that you don't get too far behind. Ideally, you want to have your script, at least have your idea completed by, you know, 11 o'clock at night. 
don't do what I did when I did a 48 that very first year. We had a room full of people. The brainstorming went on till 11. Then we kicked everybody out except four of us. And we kept working on it until midnight and kicked one more guy out. And we were just working this one story that the group had pitched and we were trying to make it work. And finally at 2 a.m. we said, forget it, it's never going to work. And we start all over again. So so I would avoid the group think for coming up with your script. If you want to do it a little bit, fine, but limit it. Um, try to have your script idea I would say by 11-ish, and a writer can keep working on the script into the wee hours of the morning. On Saturday, I would say that almost everyone would tell you that you never get as early a start as you think you're going to get. That You always hope, many teams hope the first shot will be shot at nine, and you know, you're lucky to get it shot by 11 because you have all that preparation on Saturday morning to get the set ready. But if you've got your uh, weekend kind of plotted out in the timelines so that you know you can keep track and make sure you're not falling behind, then I think you're in good shape. One of the tricks that a lot of teams will use is they'll begin having an editor start working on a cut on Saturday afternoon. You know, there's no reason that the editor can't begin before you finish your shoot. So as soon as you finish a few scenes, send that footage to your editor and let him or her begin that work. Other people will kind of tag team the editing process, especially if one editor's been working from three o'clock until midnight, then, you know, can somebody else work on it overnight so that when the director and the editor wake up first thing Sunday morning, they've got a good rough cut that just needs polishing. So that's some of the advice I can give to our filmmakers. The 48-hour film project takes a filmmaker at whatever level he or she is and helps advance them to the next level just by the sheer fact of them making a film. Because that's what teaches you the most is actually the making of the film, the doing it. And there are three things that are common to any kind of film, whether you're talking a multi-million dollar Hollywood production or a 48-hour film project. And those three things are limited time, because even in Hollywood, you have so many pages of your script you have to shoot in a, in a given day. Limited budget, even if you've got a million dollar budget, it is specifically tied to things. And then problem solving. I don't care what kind of film you're making, there will always be something that you did not expect will pop up and need to be figured out. And the 48-hour film project helps you develop your problem-solving skills. People ask me about whether it's better to make a comedy or a drama, and the honest answer is we've certainly seen both win, uh, not only on the city level, but also at Filmapalooza. For comedy, it does seem to be the go-to uh, for many filmmakers, especially younger filmmakers, and, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Whether you're picking comedy or drama, you've still got to figure out your story. And the story has to be solid. Does it have a beginning, middle, and an end? Does it make sense? If all you're going to do is a, you know, a marijuana smoking joke, then the audience is going to get bored with that after seven minutes. 
So it, it's gotta it's gotta lead somewhere. Um, but we've certainly seen a lot of very good comedies over the years. I can't pinpoint like the secret of what makes a great comedy versus a not great comedy. I do want to give you just one more example. This was uh, back in 2005, I believe. We were in Des Moines for the first time, and these were first-time filmmakers. And back then, uh, Ken Burns' documentary styles was really well-known. And so they did a mockumentary called Mimes of the Prairie. And back in the old days, there were three kinds of people in the Old West. There were the settlers, the Native Americans, and mimes. And they went on and on about this. And it was just done so well. And it not only won Des Moines, it ended up being the grand champion that year and first-time filmmakers. So it's, it's definitely possible to win with comedies. So we hear a lot of um, stories in the film industry in general about dysfunction on sets or tantrums on sets and things like that. And what's interesting is that we don't find that very often in 48-hour films, and I'm not sure why. I'm guessing that it's because, A, it's, it's, you're part of a team and everybody on the team is a volunteer. So there's something about this group desire to achieve the goal in such a short time that people do a better job of putting their wants and needs uh, second and then wants and needs of the group first. But it does come down to the team leader and or the director being a, a good leader. Those are qualities that are needed in any industry, but essentially it is knowing a, it's instilling a, a sense of teamwork to the entire group and that everybody is included and a part of it. Secondly, knowing when you can be open to ideas and knowing when you must make a decision to move forward and then doing that in a way that respects everybody. So knock on wood that that is something that is, is very consistent in, in 48-hour film projects in general. Now, I don't want to tell you that we don't, hear the occasional horror story of the director quitting in the middle of a film and then fighting over who owns the footage, but those are very rare, so that's good. One of my takeaways from the 48-Hour Film Project and also work that I've seen our filmmakers go on to do is that sometimes Hollywood overcomplicates things. I think that there are lessons to be learned from having a smaller crew, smaller cast, smaller set, and it's kind of going back to that ingenuity of people and their ability to be creative. You give them a problem, they're going to figure out a way to do it. In any industry, I don't want to pick on Hollywood, there become these routines and so that that becomes the default. Well, why is that the default? And especially why is that the default when it costs so much money or takes so much time? Aren't there better ways that might be possible? And that's what kind of the secret beauty of indie filmmaking is. They don't have the luxury of a lot of time and a lot of money, so they're going to be more ingenious in coming up with ways to make their production work. And again, whether that's specifically on a 48-hour film or on some other low-budget project. What the 48-hour film project does is it 
gives people the reason to do it. Sure, anybody can go out and make their own short film anytime they want to. But what often happens, and what happened to me as a filmmaker, is the script wasn't ready, or the actor wasn't available, or the whatever. I had a million excuses of why I wasn't doing it. But the 48-hour film project says, it's this weekend in your city, get your act together, make it happen. And so that's, I think a lot of people have really appreciated that piece of it, that it, it gets them off the couch, it gets them to stop talking about making a movie and actually to make one. What started as an experiment slash hobby has become a full-time job for Mark. Over the years, the 48 has yielded plenty of opportunities as well as significant challenges. The first few years, it was a hobby, essentially, or a part-time job is what it became. And then about 2005, uh, it became a full-time job. And I was the only person, employee at that point, but soon we added a couple people every year until we had a staff of uh, five or six. And essentially, for the last 15 years, that's been my full-time job, running the 48-hour film project. Over the years, we've had a lot of interest uh, off and on about doing a reality show about the 48-hour film project. And our most successful one actually took place in Italy, where they would get a couple of filmmaking teams in a different city each week. And these teams would do what our regular 48 teams do, write, shoot, and edit a short film. And then they would be shown on Italian television. And I believe they visited six or eight cities and then had kind of a playoff between a couple of um, uh, the two finalists. And from all accounts, uh, it went well. It was not highly enough rated to get picked up for a second season. So it was a one and done type thing. One of the things that shot the idea in the foot here in the United States was a primetime series called On the Lot. And this was done by Mark Burnett and even had Steven Spielberg as an executive producer, where they essentially created a, um, a reality show around filmmaking. They started off with 40 or so filmmakers all in one place. They had to make you know, they paired them up, they had to make films, they had well-known judges, and that was the lowest-rated television show on all four major networks that summer, and so needless to say, nobody would take our phone calls for several years after that. But we've had a handful of pilots done. What people haven't figured out is what's that secret ingredient of making an interesting television show. What I think a lot of people know or may not know is that filmmaking can be very boring. You know, there's a lot of setup time. There's a lot of sitting around time. And then there's that little bit of time where the cameras are actually rolling. Certainly watching people write or watching people edit is not exciting television. So coming up with the concept of how to make an audience care about what's going on and who's doing it, that's the real trick of coming up with a winning pilot, I think. Well, like everybody, COVID really hurt us. Um, we had to recalibrate everything we were doing. 
Typically, our year would begin in April with our first cities, and of course, COVID was raging, uh, just taking off in April of 2020. And we didn't know what the heck we were going to be able to do that year. One of the first things we did is we really gathered a lot of information about how to shoot safely. And so we did a whole safe sets promotion, came up with some guidelines for our filmmakers. We also gave them a resource where they could take some online training. So that was very helpful in, in preparing the filmmakers. We postponed the tour. It didn't begin until June or even July. And we really didn't know what to expect, whether people would be able to make films, um, whether they would want to make films, et cetera, et cetera. The biggest transition for that year was going from our hallmark of having screenings in a theater, because that's what everybody loves, seeing their film and all their fellow filmmakers' films on the big screen. And we had to move that to having online screenings. And so the transition was fairly easy to get them online, but then to get people to make films in, in, in COVID times, that was a little bit more challenging. The good news is that with the vaccines and with taking precautions, when we entered 2021, we went from a scenario where 90% of our events had been online. We were able to get about 85% of our events back to in-person. We still weren't back in all 100 plus cities, but we were able to have live events in 70 some odd cities. So, so that was very good. And now we're just hoping that COVID is truly behind us as people think it is and that uh, filmmakers want to get back out there. And, you know, we've got uh, screenings already scheduled for different cities around the world as, as our city producers put their dates in for their events. Our hope is that 2022 will be back to where we were pre-pandemic. Uh, certainly, we're putting everything we can into it. We're making things easier for the filmmakers. We, Because of COVID, we went to a digital drop-off. That used to be an in-person drop-off. But we're going to keep the digital drop-off because not only does it give the filmmakers a little bit extra time, they don't have to worry about driving, but it's safer as well because they don't have to be racing for a deadline in their car to bring the bring their film in. Um, and it makes it easier for our city producers in processing the films. The films are already online. They can then very easily create a master for the screening at the theater. All the paperwork uh, is online, so it's easier to manage. Um, that's one of the things the 48 Hours has done from the beginning as well, and that is to require all the releases. It doesn't make sense for you as a filmmaker to make a film if you can't show it. And to be able to show it, you need to have your releases. So um, we provide all of those to the filmmakers so that they can get the signatures they need. Although the 48-Hour Film Project remains the focus of Mark's efforts, he's accomplished and continues to pursue many other creative endeavors as well. My arts background is, is fairly varied. I've done a number of different things. Uh, hard to pinpoint my most favorite. Uh, I love to sing, and I do love to perform on stage. I was in a musical a couple of years ago 
pre-pandemic with a local uh, theater company, and um, we did the musical sideshow. And I was a member of the um, of the chorus, and that was a lot of fun to be back on stage. Back right around the time that the Forty Eight Hour Film Project began, I was actually the director and host of a theater show called The 11 O'Clock Show, which was essentially The Tonight Show, but on stage with no cameras. And so each show would begin with monologue by me. We'd then have The 11 O'Clock Show players do a sketch, and then we'd interview people. And we had people that ranged from Robert Prosky, who was a famous Washington-based actor who had acted in Hollywood to a, uh, I remember an ultra marathon runner and, and I'd never heard of ultra marathoning before, but these are people who run 50 miles in a race and uh, just to, to hear all the intricacies about that and how every, all of your joints have to be slathered with Vaseline and, and that when men run, oftentimes they'll just go to the bathroom while running so they don't have to stop. So all these crazy stories, right? And we would have, uh, we'd have chefs on to do demonstrations, and we'd always have a musical guest. So that was a, a lot of fun. And we did that for two years. And, uh, and then the 11 o'clock show came along and other life changes, so kind of left that behind. But strictly speaking of my creative passion, there's nothing better than than being on stage and getting an entire audience laughing. That's just a, a wonderful feeling. Around that time, I also, uh, we have a local awards show here for film and video professionals in the Washington, D.C. area, and I was selected to be the host of that show a couple of times, so that was a lot of fun as well. And then uh, because of the 48, I've become more of an event manager, an event planner, than, a, than an actual filmmaker. And there are a lot of aspects that I love about, about my job. Essentially, coming up with ways to engage and inspire the filmmakers and then being able to see the impact that we have, that's the biggest reward to doing it all. And then there's some special film projects. A couple of years ago, maybe three or four years ago now, I worked with one of our 48-hour filmmakers, and he had the concept of... Well, his theory about indie films is that the production values lack because it's very difficult on an indie budget to shoot on location. So he had a concept. He had a script for a road movie, and he wanted to shoot it on the road. They called for going from Boston to Miami. And the way he figured he could do it is we worked together and... I paired him with a different 48-hour film team in each of the cities along the East Coast. So he traveled only with three crew and three cast, and everywhere he got, the local 48-hour team filled in the other positions. If they needed extras, other actors, camera operators, whatever, he got that along the way. And so in roughly 30 days, they had shot their feature film on a micro budget and had a good success with it. So the, the, that was a lot of fun to be a producer on. I, I really love doing event management. It's a lot of very gratifying work. One of the ways that the 48-Hour Film Project is able to be in so many cities is through our network of city producers. And so over the years, I get to have really good friendships with these people. 
And so they become colleagues. So even though it's all remote work and, you know, it's talking to them on the phone or by Zoom, it is real connections. And I'm able to travel. Don't go to too many cities each year, but uh, I can often go to at least two or three to be at some of their events to meet filmmakers locally. And that's very rewarding as well. It's hard to imagine having a job a a traditional desk job after I've been doing this for so long, just because of the creativity involved in, in what I'm doing. My advice for creatives is to get out there and do it. As I mentioned earlier, I started out not thinking I could make a career in the film industry. Um, and that held, I held myself back, but I then figured out a way to try it. And that's my real advice to people. If you have a passion for something, there is some way that you can learn more and you can do something within in that field that you, you're looking at. It may start off as a hobby. It may always be a hobby, but you're getting the creative fulfillment and you never know. It may lead to a job within the industry. Um, it may lead to recognition. But the main thing it'll lead to is satisfaction that you gave it your try, that you that you've pursued something you feel strongly about. So joining the 48-Hour Film Project is pretty easy. The first thing you want to do is find out when we're coming to your city uh, or your area. And you can go to our website, 48hourfilm.com. And even if you don't already have a team, There are several ways that you can find a team. Reaching out to the local city producer and letting them know you're looking for a team. Oftentimes, there'll be some mechanisms set up within that city, either through our website where you can do a post that you're available and what your skill is, whether you're in front of the camera or behind the camera. Um, Some of our city producers will set up special Facebook groups to facilitate finding teams and team members. And in most of our cities, now that COVID is getting behind us, there will actually be a number of networking events in advance of the competition weekend. So I would encourage everybody to check those out, meet your fellow filmmakers from your area. Thanks for listening to Creators by Moonlight. Email the show at creatorsbymoonlight at gmail.com and follow the show on social at Creators by Moonlight.